Hey, welcome to G220 Radio. My name is Mike, and we want to thank you for coming to this episode as we dive into Proverbs chapter 10. Get to a new section of this book in the majority section. With me, as always, running the sound system, make sure everyone can hear us, is Ricky. While he will not... He might chime in, but he's he needs some rest, and he's taking it today. And also with me is the one, the only, Natty P. What's up, so, Natty P? So just uh, getting to find out about the uh, the proverbs, just, uh, trying to get wisdom. Wisdom is supreme. Just trying to get it. There is. That's what proverbs are written for. And joining us as a co-host is Blake. This is Blake's first time on the show. So Blake, second. go ahead. Second. It's at least his second time. Is it his second? It is. It is second, second time recently. Oh. I mean, first time recently. It tells you how, how much I listen to this show. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, for those who don't know who you are, Blake, <laughs> go ahead and introduce yourself. Well, uh, hey everyone, my name is Blake. Thank you for tuning in today. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I do street ministry out of Canton, Ohio, with a longtime partner of rookie Adam Wright. Uh, so we do a lot of street ministry here in Ohio and at preterm abortion clinic up in Cleveland, east side of Cleveland. And I also serve in the youth ministry and pulpit ministry of my church, River Tree Maslin in Maslin, Ohio. So glad to be here, dig into God's word. So like all of our series have been Proverbs, we will be doing this somewhat exegetical, but kind of as we think about as we go. And just like uh, the new Supreme Court Justice, uh, here are my notes for today's show. Um, there's not even a head letter on that one, so this should be a fun, exciting show. Uh, as we dig into Proverbs, my pastor just recently finished Proverbs 10, so I'm still a little ahead of the game here. And so, Nathaniel, do you have any open thoughts on here as we dive into Proverbs chapter 10? Um, I don't know, this is just uh, the portion which to the naked eye seems like a bunch of sayings uh, that one could take uh, stand, stand alone. But obviously we know that uh, even though these are a collection of King Solomon's sayings, uh, as we'll find out in verse one, uh, there is a rhyme and reason for why uh, the, the, the spirit put, puts these things together the way he did. So We'll discuss some of that and some of the groupings uh, perhaps coming up on the show. Yeah, I think that's an important point to make that the nature of Proverbs allows them to be kind of the, the witty quick statements held by themselves, but that they also, though there's debate on exactly how they all form up, seemingly too be grouped together in certain ways. And as you said, very quickly, we see um, how that works out when you get to the second part of verse one. Right. Um, and that's what I think makes Proverbs so um, deep. Obviously, we covered a show about this a couple years ago now, uh, almost a couple years, maybe a year half ago, about the nature of Proverbs. Go ahead and if you haven't watched it or listened to it, go and do that um, where we kind of explain the book, but now we kind of get into the meat and the body. It's no more storytelling there. It's witty statements. Yeah, they're like little thrust our hearts to think about wisdom even more. So they're a little, little, little piece of hard candy that you, you don't just chew them up. You suck on them for a little while. Uh-huh. Like a blow pop or a, uh, what is that, uh, Tootsie Pop. You got to give more than three licks to these. 
don't know. The owl only took three licks and it was gone. And the world doesn't know how many licks gets to the center of a Tootsie Pop. Yeah. Owls, I don't think, are as wise as they they went on. So, yeah. Blake, you have any comments as we start looking before we get dive into uh, here, Proverbs 10? Well, uh, an owl might not be able to figure out how many licks it takes to get to the center of a Twitsy Pop, but we're definitely going to find out how many verses it takes to get to some good wisdom from the Lord. So uh, <laughs> the only thing I can see on the outset is this chapter is definitely unique as the rest of Proverbs coming up for the most part is extended versions of Hebrew poetry. In Hebrew poetry, you usually have, and even in the culture surrounding them, so like even in comparing it to other Phoenician language style writings, um, you have them building the certain way that you do poetry. And Proverbs does that for the most part throughout the rest. But once we come up to, to chapter 10, which we're about to read today, it's just kind of an eclectic gathering of some random sayings, whether they're from one time or over a long period of time. So it kind of makes you think that Proverbs is, is not just a sat down book of one time writing, but it's an anthology of thought over the lifetime of King Solomon, gathering a lifetime of wisdom, kind of like Augustine's Confessions, just gathering all that information together over time and depositing it so that way we can learn from his entire life. So there's definitely a lot to be gained here. So, Nathaniel, how about you read us some of God's word? All right, sweet. Uh, so we're going to do uh, chapter 10, verse uh, 1 to 5. Uh, this is uh, the word of the Lord. Uh, the Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Ill-gotten gains do not profit. But the righteous delivers from de- righteousness delivers from death. The Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger, but he will reject the craving of the wicked. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in the harvest is a son who acts shamefully. That sounds reading God's holy word, I guess. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, we see that these uh, belong grouped together. If we look at the parallelism between uh, verses uh, 1 and 5, we have a wise son in verse uh, 1b, as well as a a good son, a diligent son. Uh, Wise, it says he's wise because he gathers in harvest or gathers in summer. Uh, The foolish son is a grief to his mom. And... uh, shameful son is uh somebody that sleeps at the harvest time so uh what's in between is meant to expound upon the wise and the foolish son what do they call that what do they call it well the commentary that i cheated and looked at calls it a thematic inclusio yep that's it i think that's important when we think about as we go through the rest of Proverbs, these are grouped together in certain ways. And this one, as you said, as an inclusio and why this is important when we think about this as kind of have you, I mean, you mentioned it. Uh, the second part of verse one, verse five helps us to understand all that is happening in the middle. While there is great wisdom to think about, when you think about ill-gotten treasures have no value, but righteousness delivers from death. I do think the author wants us to consider that within how does this reflect not only a wise son and the joy he brings to his parents versus the foolish son and the shame he brings upon his parents uh, with it. And that when we consider and think about these structures, they help us to just really better understand what we're talking about. And we kind of see it in verse five. It gives it to us is the value of trustworthy and hard work and how that reflects upon the family and that a wise son 
works in a way which honors his parents and he works in a way that is you can see diligent he works in righteous he's not gaining things unrighteously he's not stealing things to get what he wants but the foolish person who does these things who doesn't acquire riches in ways that are honorable brings shame not just on his parents but even more so in a shame culture shame against his family he becomes kind of that outcast son i think when we kind of think through what this proverb looks at it challenges us in what we see in the new testament to work hard to work unto the lord for sure and it's a dynamic that is going to continue for the rest of the chapter but there's there's a flow that changes over time and one thing i want to point out is that there's an interesting thing that kind of it's not here as we're reading it but it interrupts the flow um in the greek version of the proverbs in the Septuagint, the christian old testament we have a random verse that gets thrown in and has no context as to where it came from it's actually in between verses four and five so after it says the hand of the diligent makes rich uh in a positive view of of a wise son it says a son who has been trained in discipline will be wise and he will make use of the fool as is dikaion as a a slave or a servant or a bond servant and so it kind of fits into the the way we're thinking about it. And this is a verse that the early Christians would have looked at this. This isn't the Hebrew version, but this is the way that the Christians would have saw it. And I'm thinking as we're, we're going through this, most of the time you have uh, the wickedness of men later on, at least like say verse 20 and on, it's talking about how God is going to deal with the wicked, how the wicked uh, dreads uh, a horrible day, how God is going to bring destruction to them. And so there's this interesting input from wherever it comes from saying that the righteous person deals with the wicked as well. And so maybe this might not be necessarily canonical, but it does help us kind of give this view of as we're reading this battle between the wise and foolish sons, um, that there is a triumph of wisdom of righteousness, and that will come in the eschatological bringing of God's kingdom. Though wisdom doesn't seem like much now in the world that we live in, in this spiritual Babylon that we struggle through uh, for application for our own lives. Uh, wisdom is going to be what God rewards. And that's the point of this proverb, at least up until this point, that's what God is talking about. That's what Solomon is, is being um, used as a vehicle to tell us is that the Lord will honor those who act wisely. Yeah. I, I mean, you see that there in verse three, the Lord doesn't let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the cravings of the wicked and obviously this may not always seem like what is happening but that would be a narrow view of history and narrow view of god that god as you mentioned does judge and that to consider that they may seem like to get away in this world but there will be a time where they won't and they will face his judgment. And I think that makes us even consider more when we think about Christ and what he did and his work. Now, this is to a Israelite people. I think it, and even an application to work diligent and to have it. But there's also a sense in that we've called to do work for the Lord. And to, to live in a way that is righteous and that righteous living reaps rewards. It reaps benefits not only in this life and how we can um, stand. You kind of see this in Second uh, Peter, the righteous stand. They have nothing spoke can be spoke against them. You see this in the life of Christ. Um, but the righteous will be satisfied in their endeavor that the Lord will provide their needs 
in the time that they need to. And so there is to think about not only as work displays, our physical work displays of something, we're not just physical beings, we're spiritual beings. And we also see that this is played out in the work of the Christian life as we pursue holiness, as we pursue the deeper relationship um, with our God, it takes work. And the lazy one who doesn't do it, they may be saved through a fiery um, trial. Yeah, <clears throat> most assuredly. Uh, we don't want to neglect the practical use of these Proverbs, though. Um, it is important to uh, see the deeper spiritual meaning. Uh, for example, uh, the only wise son there's ever been has been Jesus Christ. And um, uh, so um, all of us foolish sons get to become partakers of all his uh, righteousness, his diligence, uh, his gathering in the summer, as it were, uh, and bringing honor to his father. Um, we don't want to neglect that. That's very, very important. But there's also a very um, almost like, I don't want to say like surface level, but um, there's, there's this real world application to this. Uh, because as we've said uh, many times on the show, this is the way that God designed the world to work except for the fall. And so uh, righteousness generally speaking, but for the fall leads to not being hungry. If I go to work, I do my job. I work as under the Lord. I will get a paycheck or a harvest uh, in a more agrarian context. Uh, and I will not be hungry. Uh, now, if someone, uh, some uh, socialist uh, regime comes in and they take all my food and take and force me into slave labor, are there trials caused by the fall? Uh, either, uh, you know, yeah, so there are exceptions to this rule based on the fall of humanity into sin and death. But uh, generally speaking, if I'm negligent at my job, I'm going to be poor. If I'm diligent, my business is going to succeed, generally speaking. If I sleep whenever it's time to bring the harvest in, it's going to rot on the vine and there's going to be no food. And my mom's going to say, what a what a bum you've been. But if I gather uh, in summer, I'm being wise. Make, it, it's, it's real world stuff. Though, we don't want to neglect the deeper spiritual meanings either because they're just as glorious. Uh, we will be filled uh, in the long run, but it's, it's both. It's both. So we want to make sure we focus on not just the spiritual, but the matter because matter matters. That is why you should read 40 questions on allegory and typology so you can do better get both interpretation because i think you know to, to think about it you know as he said while christ is the fullest of wisdom um you know we're physical beings and i would say that proverbs is not just idealistic without the with the fall that Proverbs tell us how to live in God's world, even in the fall uh, with it. That is, that's why we have these Proverbs to teach us what does it mean to live in God's world? Um, now we can say that I'll do, you know, what if God didn't sin, you know, obviously these would all still be true. Or if Adam, if Adam didn't sin, let me correct myself there. That was bad. If Adam didn't sin, I mean, these would still all be true, but I think when we think about the world we live in, we live in a fallen world, and yet these um, these are principles to be taken and to apply, and that that is how God intended them to be in this, where we find ourselves in this fallen world. And so, you know, you're right. When we think about what it means to harvest and to work and how God has given us work. I mean, there's a promotion here of work, right? Work is good. Um, God ordained it from even before the fall. It is 
a good gift from God. And so we see here work being honored and not just any type of work, hard work, righteous work, work that brings in a sense flourishing that makes the people around them better that they would have life. And again, that has the spiritual aspects too. When we gather together on the Lord's day to encourage one another, to continue to pursue holiness, to encourage one another in love and good works. Um, again, it's easy just to slip in and slip out the hard work of, coming together as a community and building one another up in love um, is hard work. And yet we see here, not only commands in new Testament, but the value even in that here in the proverb, which is why we here at G220 radio make an emphatic plea with those that you should belong to a local church. As far yeah. as, as far as you can up to you, you know, trying to find one maybe in the process, but uh, you should uh, really consider joining should, and being a member of a local church. Yeah. Amen. You should be either in the process of getting into a local church or be in one. Like you had a comment. I was just saying amen to that. It is important. And it's and it's like uh, Natty P, you said, it's, it's that symbol of the wise son ultimately being uh, the perfect son, the son of God. Because all of this is pointing to a restoration of Eden. All of, I mean, that's why this is called wisdom literature. It's not knowledge literature. The difference is wisdom is, is applied truth. And mm. that we need to remember that the whole goal of the written word of God is to pull us into that new Eden, that new garden. Mm. That new garden is going to be perfect relation, um, not only with man to man, man to creature, but man to God. And that was only perfect. Only able to be made perfect and made possible to the perfect son, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And we're a third away through the show. We probably should continue on. Yeah, let's get to our next little inclusio yeah. from verses six to 11 here again, the word of God blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. The wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will be ruined. He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. He who winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will be ruined. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. And what we see here. This inclusio is formed by the mouth of the wicked conceals violence in verse six. And again, the mouth of the wicked conceals violence in verse 11, closing off our section. Yeah. So we also have the blessing, blessing. to start off with. So to think about Proverbs is not isolated. It's, formulated in a covenant agreement made on Mount Sinai and throughout as God calls his people to him. And you have your blessings and your curses, and so you see it. Who receives the blessings? Well, it's the righteous. Who receive the curses? in general, the wicked. And when we think about that, even in our modern context, I mean, maybe not so much. Nowadays, we see a lot of wickedness go unpunished here. Um, but that's the goal of the government, we are told, is to uphold the righteous and to punish the wicked. And so we see here that in a sense, um, God does the same way. You, those who live by the law, are righteous. And those who do not are cursed. And, you know, on that basic level, 
we have it. I mean, it's the covenant of works, however you want to to dice it. We won't get into all the. That's what it is. I mean, you uh, covenant made with Adam, eat of the tree or you don't. If you eat of the tree, you're cursed. If you don't, you'll have find blessing. You'll be righteous. And so we see um, this playing out. And I think you have that illusion even in the idea of the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Again, righteousness, connecting righteousness with life, blessedness with life. Well, then cursed is connected with death. Sure. And even if wickedness in the world seemingly goes unpunished, um, God says, vengeance is mine. I will seek revenge. That means that he will seek the bringing out of his justice. See, we look at revenge from our eyes as humans. And since we're broken, we don't perfectly keep the law. Revenge is, is a bad thing. But not in the care of God. God will seek revenge for when his law has been broken and when his creation has been shattered. And you see that in the words of the, the comparison of the mouth of the righteous as fountain of life. Um, another way to understand that the second half, other than but the mouth of the wicked, it conceals violence is outrage will cover the mouths of the wicked. It's this idea that comes in Isaiah, uh, the other prophets, um, and even gets brought into the New Testament of in the mouth of the wicked is, is evil. That the, the, their tongues are like, have poison of asps underneath them. It's important in light of what Jesus says that it's not what you take within you that defiles you. It's what come out of you that defiles you because God knows the hearts and intentions of man. And that's the whole point of this proverb is what is your intention? Do you seek to in full view glorify God by acting righteously, honoring your parents by acting righteously, doing the right thing, obeying the law, seeking what is good, or are you only filled with a corrupted heart that will seek after selfishness and, and self-glorification over the glorification of, of others and of God? Right. We see that, Blake, here. Uh, the memory of the righteous will be blessed, but the name of the wicked will be blotted, will rot. So um, uh, as... <clears throat> As, as, as you know, I mean, the, the, the God blots out the name. We, I mean, you can't blot Everybody knows uh, Charlie Manson. Um, everybody knows about uh, Ted Bundy, all these really, let's just use them for the sake of the argument because they're clearly wicked uh, and there's no debate about it. We all will remember their name for some time to come. However, God uh strikes and blots out their name um that's it, clearly a judgment uh from the lord there uh uh as they're as they're blotted out um he who perverts his ways will be found out uh babbling fool will be ruined uh god that's what we always say the great american prophet said uh you can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, but sooner or later, God will cut you down and make your name rot. Uh, yeah. Who's that? Who's that American prophet? Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash, of course. It's Johnny actually Black. an Elvis song originally. Yeah, but nobody knows Elvis. <laughs> his, his name's rot, rotted already. Yeah. But even when you think about the examples, Charles Manson, you throw Adolf Hitler in that mix. Like even in a sense, their names is rotten because of what they're connected with. Right. Like true, true. if you want to make a point and what I'm about to say is not the belief of my of me. Or G two twenty radio. Yeah. Or a G two twenty radio. But when people call President Trump and connect him with Adolf Hitler that's to prove a point because that is a um, stench with it. Mm. Like you don't want to be called because it reflects negatively because mm. of the wickedness in which Adolf Hitler was part of. 
But then we think about, let's just use someone else. Winston Churchill is someone that maybe nowadays has fallen out of favor, but for the most part has been one of great honor to help lead against this great wickedness. You could throw um, President Eisenhower in that mix. And so when we even think about that Proverbs, even in our own life, we remember people for what they've done. And some of them will is a blessing. And, and some of them um, we see here is kind of that curse idea. And we even play this out the part when we encourage people to read biographies of men of, of the great of the faith, whether it's Luther and all of his faults or Calvin or Augustine or Aquinas or uh, Jim Elliot. We, we encourage people to read because of that, because the memories of the righteous is a blessing. And we can see how people in the past remain faithful through all types of circumstances, which spurs us on in that same way that we can see God's blessing in their life. We can see that God had provided for them to remain faithful, to encourage us to remain faithful, knowing that while our faithfulness is not the cause of our blessings, but God blesses people who are faithful and little, and he allows them and grows them to be faithful in much. And so when we think about just even who we look up to plays in a part in which we, which allows us to grow even more um, devotedly to um, become more yeah. godly and more holy, which plays out in that we see the, see the important to accept the commands of God to see oh. their values, to see their goodness um, from who they are. Instead of listening to worldly philosophy that is by nature against the one who created them and is at times under the influence of the prince of the power of the air, as Ephesians 2 tells us. And that we need to, all the more, as remember the goods, as we consider the examples given to us through Holy Scripture, inspired by the Spirit for our edification, that we can look and we can grow and receive God's blessing as he gives us the power to remain faithful. Absolutely. And so that power indeed comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this section... We're talking about the mouth of the wicked versus the mouth of the righteous. Uh, in our Lord, being as the, the mouth of the righteous, this reminds me of uh, 1 Peter uh, 2.22-23, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And by while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to God who judges righteously and so we see there the righteousness of our Lord on full display though our mouths conceal violence or our conceal rage uh, our Lord uh, is the one that had the mouth of the righteous like in this this uh, this passage the fountain of life uh, he didn't revile he didn't utter uh, threats uh, in re return retaliation uh, in, in fact, as, as, as he was uh, led, away, led away like a lamb to the shears, he, or uh, like a lamb to the slaughter, he was uh, dumb like a sheep before the shears. So um, it's the mouth of the righteous. And then bringing us back down to something a little more earthy, if we take note uh, practically here, uh, the, wise, the wise man will receive commands. Uh, we, we have a uh, babbling fool mentioned twice. Uh, babbling fool will be ruined uh, because he's too busy flapping his gums uh, to accept any instruction. Uh, and again, it repeats uh, in parallel form in verse 10. 
a babbling fool will be ruined. So uh, some practical advice about uh, people that talk too much, I guess. If you're, something I always say, if you're too busy talking, uh, like verse eight says, you're not going to learn anything. Wise, uh, know when to listen. Babblers, uh, you know, let them hand along into danger. You know what the Holy Spirit says about that? Well, he says a babbling fool comes to ruin. Yeah. The wise seem, the fool seem wise until they open their mouth. Oh, yeah. It does say that as well. It does. And so I think, you know, as you, you think of it, um, we talk about it. I mean, how much does um, Jesus stress when you think about walking with integrity, um, listening to God's commands throughout his teaching and the gospel, don't go off to the left or to the right, right. walk the narrow path. Um, and they're all kind of connected in obedience to God's commands. And that, again, one thing we should think about and, when we read the Bible is how does either this explain Jesus better or how does Jesus exemplify this? And we see this um, playing out as the, the one who is wise, who obeys God's command. There is no evil within him. He walks with integrity. He knows when to talk. He knows when not to talk. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about his encounter with Pilate. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't try to defend himself. And, you know, obviously it's fulfilled a prophecy as a lamb led to a slaughter. And he doesn't, he doesn't speak. But when a time to do it, it's then. But he doesn't. And there's great wisdom um, to think about that, especially in a world full of Twitter and Facebook. Mm-hmm. What is a time to speak? When is a time not to? And there are times to do it. There's times to stand up um, against what is evil and what is right. And there's times to, to not and to let love cover the multitude of sins when we think about it and through it. And again, it's the wisdom to accept the commands, to accept the principles God has given to us as we faithfully study them and faithfully attend a church, which helps us to better understand them. You know, uh, as you guys are talking about this and I'm thinking about how, and I've, I told Nathaniel this, when, when I used to go out and want to reach the Hebrew Israelites, when I first started engaging them, I really wanted to see them come to, to faith in Christ. And then it got to a point where I just wanted to win arguments with them. And I was becoming this babbling fool and trying to, rather than just listening to what they're saying and then trying to respond, I was trying to speak over them and do these things. And the Lord had to, uh, you know, bring me down in that, that, that pride that was in me. But, uh, <clears throat> now when I engage with them, you know, I, I let them listen. And, and this goes with a lot of engagements that I have with people on the streets now, because I've learned from that experience where let people talk, let them say what they've got to say. Sometimes they're going to bring themselves into a ditch because they'll end up contradicting or, uh, going off of what the scriptures say. And then you can point them to the truth you know, in, in a gracious way, in, in a humble way and say, well, here's what the Bible says, you know, um, but it's, it's knowing that it's, it's knowing to, to be able to, to exercise that wisdom. You have truth, you stand upon the truth, you defend the truth, you do it in grace and love. Um, you know, as it starts out here where it talks about this, this portion um, where, well, you know, verse six there where it says, uh, no, wait, uh, where was that? Verse 12. No, we haven't got there yet. I'm, I'm jumping ahead. We ain't even there. But uh, I was going to say, you know, love covers a multitude of sins. So you love on these people. You try to help them and lead them to the truth. Which you guys probably should jump into the next section. 
Do you have anything, Blake, for this section before we move on? Uh, no, I'm just ready to hop into the next session. Let's do it. Verse 12. You're muted, Natty. Sorry. I guess I didn't know when to speak and when not to. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. On the lips of the discerning, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding. Wise men store up knowledge, but with the mouth of the foolish, ruin is at hand. The rich man's wealth is his fortress, and the ruin of the poor is their poverty. Uh, the wages of right, the righteous life, the righteousness, the wages of the righteous is life. The income of the wicked is punishment. He is on, on the path of life who heeds instruction, but he who ignores reproof goes astray. He who conceals hatred has lying lips, and he who spreads slander is a fool. Where did Mike go? He was leading the show, and now it's just me and you, Blake. All right, so we've got uh, more contrasting with the righteous and the wicked. Um, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers the multitude of transgressions. We see this uh, again in the New Testament um, where we talk about love. Love doesn't cover up transgressions as in um, trying to, I love my, my friends, so I'm going to make sure nobody finds about, out about his uh, deep secret that he just uh, robbed a bank or something. That's uh, not what we're talking about here. Uh, we're talking about uh, the kind of love uh, that, that forbears, uh, that forgives. Um, that, that's contrast of verse 12 uh, with hatred, which rather than forgiving stirs up strife over, over an offense. For sure. And there's a, a beautiful translation that kind of helps us pull that out where it says, I think more fluently, brotherly affection covers contention. Mm. And that, that's the whole point is, like you said, this isn't about hiding law breaking. This isn't about hiding the fact that judgment needs to be brought out. This is the connection of brotherly affection, of the relation of of a pe one person to another in a community. I think that's being highlighted for us in the old covenant text. So we're thinking about it in the new Testament. I think that's why Peter is specifically pulling in. He says it a little differently, but he's getting the point across. He's telling us that when we wrong one another, when we do uh, wrong to one another, whether we, we speak ill of one another, we act uh, wrongly to one another, they're supposed to be forgiveness. They're supposed to be connection. They're supposed to be a unity and a purity amongst the people of God, because that's what makes the community of God such a strong tool for the Lord's purposes, is we're not divided by tribe, by nationality, by income. That is the whole, whole epicenter of, of the New Testament church, of the early church, there was a gathering of people from all different classes, all different ethnicities. And that's something that, that Paul pulls on when he talks about the difference between Jew and Gentile. The word he's using is ethne, literally where we get our word ethnicity. This is not about class systems, any of that. All of that is man-made and it is demolished because now we have the sons of man, the sons of Adam being united under the true son of man, the true son of Adam who restores humanity and brings humanity to its fullest purpose. And that's the worship of God. Absolutely. Welcome back, Mike. We missed you. Yeah. My wireless decide just to stop working um, on my laptop just cause maybe demonic forces. We'll just Sorry. put it out there. We'll forgive your contentious wireless internet. Well, while it's off the air, I was rebuking the devil of wireless <laughs> troubles or the demon of wireless troubles. Good. I almost had to pull out my holy water. Maybe but... we need to do another Devil Went Down to Georgia show. 
Devil went down to Kentucky, Louisville. <laughs> Looking for some yeah. internet to steal. I'm just saying we live in a spiritual battle. All right. But, um, yeah. So catching up a lot of that. I do think, you know, as we mentioned earlier in the show, just about it, um, that, you know, hatred stirs up distension, love covers, but why are, what's that distinction? Well, the distinction is the wisdom found on the discerning lips would be those who um, love covers um, with it. And then, you know, the rod is one um, in a verbal sense who causes up um, dissension. And I've, um, this comes in, in reality um, for a, um, a pot. We had him on as a guest on our show. And because of hatred, because of um, people, they voted him out of his church. And for whatever the reasons they have. And so this makes it, when you think about just the disdain Christians have for other Christians. I mean, we can joke about church splits over carpet, but there's a reason why it happens. There's, there's a sense in which we lack the wisdom to oversee our personal opinions. We don't love. We're not one who is patient or kind or who doesn't envy or boast. You know, they're not arrogant or rude. Doesn't insist on its own way, as Paul would write. Um, and to think through, you know, what is love in a, in a true sense, not what the world calls love, mm. but how does the Bible define love and how love is, I mean, it is a verb. It's something we do, but it's also a mindset in which we have, as Paul would say, where we put others first, put others before us. Why does hatred stir up? It's because I want my way, the sin way, the prideful way, the way it seeks to prop me up. And so that's important, especially when you consider that wisdom is found as discerning and the wise people store up knowledge. They store up this to know when they're starting to creep in to that sin. But you know, the ESV says, or it's not the ESV, this is the NIV. The mouth of a fool invites ruin. Mm. Invites it in. And that language to bring it in, invites it in. It wants it in. Those are the people who who have hatred. They they want to inv- they invite in the ruin and the destruction. They don't prop up, they don't bring flourishing. But it's it's the wise who brings flourishing, who brings everyone up into a better place than where it was, where they were. For sure. And it comes back to the image of Christ we talked about of of facing Pilate, of not saying a word. I mean, what an opportunity to stand up for himself, but he doesn't. He takes the blow of the crucifixion for his friends as he says that. You know, there's no greater love than this. And a man laid down his life for his friends. And Paul shares in that same attitude too. And I think he encourages us. He, he talks about how he would be willing to face eternal damnation if it would bring the salvation of his fellow Jews. I mean, that is the kind of attitude that, that the text is calling us to, that, that Proverbs is calling us to, that we're supposed to keep a closed mouth, to not be argumentative, to show affection towards even those who would seek our deaths. 
because that is, I mean, that's the gospel. That, that's the, the purpose of Christ and the purpose of the church. Men, the wickedness that, that festers in their hearts and pours out of their mouths makes them hypocrites, makes them vile, and just leads to destruction. And that's why even in local church, we, we can't deal with it. it and, and we encourage, you know, we talk on, on G220 and as a partner of G220 and Made for This Ministries, we're all about be part of a local church. But that shouldn't be to the detriment of your spiritual health and growth. If you're part of a church that is, is not arguing over small things, but, but just putting down others and not growing in brotherly love, it's only bringing ruin to your own soul. And so that's what the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to get rid of those. It, it, Paul talks about seek that you would purge the evil ones from you. Don't deal with those who are going to be immoral, that are going to be slanderers and revilers. Get rid of them. But if they come back, if they repent, or you find a situation where there are brothers and sisters who are united together, who are lifting each other up and close their mouths, not to stand up for themselves, but to stand up for others, that is the epitome of wisdom. And that is the epitome of a true church. And that's the kind of church that we need to look for, live in, and serve in, and love others in. Uh, I'm reminded of um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, um, starting in verse 22, where Paul writes to Timothy facing his execution in the jail cell in Rome, and he tells Timothy, so flee youthful, pa youth youthful passions and pursue righteousness. And you pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with all those who call the Lord from a pure heart. Have, do, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, for you know they breed quarrels. And he'll exhort them then to pursue or to um, correct opponents in gentleness with it. And so when we think about um, what quarrels bring, another, as we mentioned, there's times to stand up, there's times to protect truth. And we're not denying that needs to be done. Again, that's discerning. It's knowing what it is. But even then, God has a means in which we are to do it. I know... For those in cage stage Calvinism, that may not seem like uh, that's the way, but it is. Not to breed quarrels, quarrels, but to love and to gently rebuke. I know I did it when I was in that stage. Um, sure, others could could agree with me um, with that. And so, as verse seven, here's your discipline. So heed it. So you have a way of life. Yeah, yeah we should probably move on, move on to the, the no, next let's, uh, uh, last let's, section. Let's get to our last one. Uh, we're going <clears throat> 19 to the end. Uh, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many. But fools die for lack of understanding. Uh, I'm going to sneeze. Uh, anyway, uh, fools die for lack of understanding. Where did I? What verse was that? Verse, that was verse 21. Okay, it is a blessing of the Lord that makes rich and he adds no sorrow to it doing wickedness is like a like sport to a fool and so is wisdom to a man of understanding what the wicked fears will come upon him but the desire of the righteous will be granted when the whirlwind passes the wicked will be no more but the righteous has an everlasting foundation like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes so is the lazy one lazy one to those who send him 
The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked are shortened. The hope of the righteous is gladness, but the expectation of the wicked perishes. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the upright, but ruin to the workers of iniquity. The righteous will never be shaken, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. The lips of the righteous will bring forth what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked is perverted. What is perverted? Got a lot of flapping gums here. Also got the sure foundation of the righteous versus the stubble that are the wicked. And tucked in there uh, is just how distasteful the lazy steward is. And you notice there's one verse that makes its way in, verse 22, that sets itself apart from the rest. Everything's been about either the labor of the wise or the detriment of the wicked. But you notice in verse 22, it reads in the ESV, the blessing of the Lord makes rich uh, or that toil adds nothing to it. Toil adds nothing to it. Um, another way it's to be understood is that through the Lord's blessing, there is to be, there's to be a, a wholeness of blessing that can ever be taken away. That the, the joy and the peace that is given to us, that sustains us by the Lord cannot be lost. Despite what the wicked do to bring the righteous down and no matter how maybe not consistent the righteous even act because even us as us as Christians, as those who are born again by the spirit of God seek to honor God, we will never do it consistently. And our blessing has nothing to do with our abilities and our actions, but it has everything to do with what the Lord offers us. And that is an eternal covenant, an eternal life, um, a life everlasting of the presence of God and all that comes with that. There's a restoration of life and a restoration of purpose. Um, we're not working for some mortal ends that will fade away everything we work towards is eternal. Everything the wicked works towards is, is temporal. You, you see this time and time again. Um, and there's just a mockery of what the wicked does. Um, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. So is a sluggard to those who send him, uh, but the righteous is established forever as the verse right before it says. So, I mean, or verse 28, the hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked uh, is is to perish. We're expecting the blessing of God. If we're in the covenant, we're expecting to receive his peace and his comfort and his ultimate joy. Um, but the wicked won't. And that's the promise of this proverb. Our toil is not to be measured by the mockery of the wicked. It's to be measured by the righteousness of our God. Right. I also want to contrast that same very same proverb, Blake, with uh, chapter 10 2. Uh, Ill gotten gain doesn't profit. However, here in 22, uh, it is the blessing of the Lord that breaks rich, and he does not add, uh, he has no sorrow to it. Uh, so if we contrast that with uh, verse 2, um, we see that we might go out and uh, work a shady deal might think we got something, but uh, whether it's in this life or the next, uh, it is of no actual profit. In this life, you might be found out and it might actually turn out to your detriment that you had some ill-gotten gain, but in the next, uh, you most assuredly won't profit from ill-gotten gain. However, here in verse 22, we're talking about riches that, like you said, that come from the Lord, um, whether it's riches of this life, uh, a temporal blessing, uh, the temporal blessing uh, earned in a godly way, it's not going to come with all those sorrows and all those fears and the guilt that uh, come from ill-gotten gain. Um, so what I noticed there in that contrast as well, but even the, the blessing of the Lord um, that, that, that makes you rich in that eternal sense, uh, 
there's not going to be any sorrow from those riches either. It's going to be more abundance of joy. Yeah. I think one thing I noticed through this, um, because really this last section brings in all kind of the different themes we've been talking about all kind of together. It repeats them. But really you have the start and the end of the section talking about words, talking about um, what people say. That people who talk too much, they will eventually talk themselves into sin. But it's part of the things we see here when you look at verse 19 um, and verse 20. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. um, Psalms use the same language about the word of God and the preciousness of it. Um, again, verse 31, when you consider it, the mouth of the righteous bring forth wisdom. The lips of the righteous in verse 32 knows what is acceptable. I, when we think about the importance of our words, and Blake touched on this earlier, you know, what defiles a man? Well, it's not what enters his mouth that makes him unclean, but what comes out of it. And that the importance of us to consider what we say and how we say it and also where it comes from. Does it come from our deepening understanding of what God has said through not only reading our own reading and meditation? but also what God has given to us throughout the tradition passed on um, to us for the past 2000 years as other Christians looked and read and thought about this also. And that it is when we consider what we say, when we consider these, um, the words to not be careless in it, do we see um, wisdom grow when we give sound advice? And that is what's going to help us in it, that we in that become more fearful, fearful, more in awe, more enlightened of the God who is the beginning of all wisdom and having that healthy fear prolongs the life because it drives us to be obedient. And not that having a longer life is necessarily counted in years, but that God sets us free and that we have life abundantly. We can live even short times on this earth to the fullest more than the wicked can, even if they live four times longer. I begin to think about how God's words brings flourishing, not only physically, but spiritually. And that when we are set free, we are free indeed. Amen. So any, any last comments? You got any comments for us, Ricky? No, I, I'm I've got a sore throat, so I wasn't really participating too much tonight, but uh just listening and just being blessed by the conversation. Um as you guys are going through Proverbs ten here. Um just really uh really a lot to chew on, a lot to gain from the Proverbs. As I posted in the uh uh the show notes for the show on YouTube, there, you know, I've heard it said and you've probably all heard this too, and I'm sure the listeners have heard this. You know, read a proverb a day. There's 31 proverbs. You can read a proverb a day every month and you gain so much wisdom and insight in your life. Uh, And it doesn't take very long. I mean, we did this in an hour. Uh, There's so much more we could have probably dug in if we would have spent more time on each individual verse. 
Uh, but that's not our goal here uh, when we're going through Proverbs. We're trying to get through it in sections and, and, and discuss it. And I think that was accomplished here tonight. I really was blessed by the conversation you guys was having. Um, so that's really the, the program for tonight. I want to thank you guys all for uh, tuning in or coming and joining the, the program, hosting alongside us. Uh, next week we will be dealing with uh, Sovereign Love. We're going to have um, Leonardo on from uh, what's the Jesus Wannabes. And so he's going to be on the program. Uh, we're going to talk to him about that song that he did, uh, changing the, uh, what is it, uh, Reckless Love? Reckless to, Love. This to reckless how do you love. forget your favorite sovereign, song? Sovereign <laughs> Love for Reckless Ones. It's back yeah. up on YouTube. Uh, yeah. Check it out. Well, we're going to talk to him about that next week. Until then, though, we, we want to thank you for tuning in. Uh, that's been G220. Blake, thank you for co-hosting with us tonight. Really enjoyed having you on. And listening to your insight there on Proverbs 10 as well. So thanks, brother. Nice to be here. All right, that's G220 Radio. Until next time, God bless and good night.